The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture is from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. This is the word of God. Hey, beloved, we, you have heard the scripture reading, and now it is time to uh, dive in and expound on God's word. So glad that you have joined us, friends and family, those that are joining us for the first time. Welcome to Downtown Church. It is the day that our Lord Savior has risen from the grave so that we may have victory. And we will look at our text and find that this morning. And thank you for all of your prayers. Thank you for all of your commitment. We are incredibly grateful for those that are committed to our body, to one another and the fellowship that we have together. As we dive into God's word, let me, before we dive into God's word, let me uh, pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you speak now. Hide me beneath your cross. Allow the power of your word to reach your people. For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we ask that you allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer, all God's people said together, amen. The human body has vital organs that it cannot live without and non-vital organs that it can live without. For instance, human body can live without a gallbladder, a spleen, and one can even live with one kidney. But there is one vital organ that no human can live without, and that is the heart. The heart is a muscular organ that is the size of a fist 
which pumps blood through the network of arteries and veins known as the cardio cardiovascular system. That cardiovascular system cannot be blocked. If there is any blockage in those arteries, it can cause a heart attack or damage to the muscles. You see, the human cannot live without the heart. Spiritually, the resurrection is the heart of the gospel. It gives life to our faith. It breathes life into our dead situations and it gives hope to the hopeless and meaning to the meaningless and purpose to those who feel as if they have no purpose. Yet many, there are many that struggle, struggle to believe in the power of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has defeated death. People are dying without hope due to the blockage from gospel truth. This blockage is portrayed in ways of skepticism, deism, ethnocentric ideologies, worldviews that are extreme and philosophies that denounce the faith and even political partisanship that begins to divide the unity that we have as Christians. There are ethical aspects as well that this blockage is blocking many who have broken homes, difficult marriages, many who suffer from generational poverty, materialism, wealth, drug addiction, guilt, shame, trauma. There are so many who are struggling right now because of the crisis that we are currently facing. The blockage from the gospel truth is one that tries to kill us just like any blockage will try to kill the damage, the heart. What is your blockage? What is the blockage for the original audience? What is the blockage for Paul's readers? Here it is, salvation is not salvation from the body, but it's salvation in the body. It was also even a struggle for Jews. Jews could not conceive a, a resurrection of Christ, the body or from the dead, if there was not renewal in the world. It was Tim Keller who said that the idea of an individual being resurrected in the middle of history while the rest of the world continued on the burden to be burdened by sickness, decay, and death was inconceivable. This was the Jewish thought. Keller conceptualized it this way because what it said was that the material for Jews, material and physical, were good. That liberation from the body was not triumph, but tragedy. So you can see, even as we go into understanding the power of the resurrection of Christ, in that time, contextually in our scripture, it was difficult for a Corinthian, a Greek, or a Jew to understand immortality from the body in which we would be resurrected in a new way. But this led to their blockage, their blockage from gospel truth. Again, I ask you, what is your blockage? What is hindering you from believing in the power of the resurrection and all of its implications? I know that many people are saying that I, I tried Jesus, Mike, but it didn't work. I tried to believe in him, but he didn't come through. 
But I'm asking you not to try him to trust him. I'm asking you not to try him, but taste him. I'm asking you not to just give him a chance, but try to see what he can do. Because many of us have categories that the gospel will shatter. The gospel will begin to explode when we understand the power, the spiritual power of what it means to know that Christ has risen and Christ will come to raise all of us and we being united with him in all that he is in all that he bears in all that he brings means that we too can be free from everything that tries to hold us bondage so here's what i want you to walk away you can go ahead and lay down after i hear if you hear this you don't have to listen to me anymore but this is what i want you to take away from today's message on this resurrection sunday is that Christ suffered and has risen so that you will live with a gospel hope. It's as simple as that. Because if you do not live with hope, what are you living for? If you don't live with hope, if tomorrow doesn't mean anything, if you could just go and do whatever you want to do, what does it mean to have life? And I want to flesh this out in three ways. That this hope helps us to live with faith. It helps us not to live with sin. And it helps us to live as we are victorious. When we look at our first point, Christ suffered and has risen so that we will live by faith. The question is, why must we, in, the, in our text, will we see, be reminded of what we need to believe? Why do we need to know that the gospel has been preached? Why do we need to understand it? Well, for them, it was their lack of belief, their lack of belief. And they questioned uh, every aspect of the resurrection. This is why they and Paul knows that it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that can help them. When you look at verse 12, he says, now for Christ is proclaimed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed, as raised from the dead, how can you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And then in verse 35, he's addressing the questions that they have. But someone will ask, how are you raised from the dead? With what kind of body do they come? At the core of the question is unbelief. And in receiving the preached gospel, this means, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and 3, that it is only the Holy Spirit that can cause the individual to proclaim Christ as their savior. We cannot proclaim it from our own will. We cannot proclaim it from our own intellectual prowess. So then how do they receive it? How do they grasp it? Well, it was hard for them to understand it. It was hard for them to grasp the concept of the gospel because they were challenged in their own society with this deep understanding of their faith. And yet this deep conflict between what outside influences were saying in pagan world in pagan in a pagan worldview so then in this deep clash in this way that they would understand the gospel what he is saying is the gospel is the only thing what i am proclaiming to you is the only thing that has substance it's not a gospel without substance it's a gospel that has power it's a gospel that you can stand on Otherwise, it's not worth preaching. 
is what Paul is saying. It's all in vain. It's vanity. My faith is in vanity. The hope that I proclaim is an empty handed, limited gospel. But yet. It's the same one that I believe. Has changed each of you. This is what Paul is saying. And I believe it's changed many of you today. But yet we're filled and the world fills us with nothing. Fills us a lot of nothing. Empty promises telling us that if we uh, sell ourselves on the notion that achieving our goals will be the f most fulfilling aspect of life. After you graduate with the bachelor's and then the master's and then your doctorate. And once you get that job, then you will be totally fulfilled. Also, you may believe and are sold on the idea and this notion that once you have that husband, once you have that wife, once you have those children, then life will be fulfilled. Once you're a better parent, once you're a better mother, once you're a better father, once you have him in your life because he was absent, then you will be a better son, a better daughter, a better mother, a better father. Once you uh, adopt this notion that if I have that big house, if I have that nice car, if I have these material things, then that, that too will be the dream that fulfills my life. See, the Corinthians who were materialistic, who were big on their wealth, who also were very much pretentious in several ways, struggled with that notion. And we, too, brothers and sisters, struggle with this idea. But these empty promises don't leave us weary free. We want a weary free society. We want a stress free society. We want an anxious free world. But I cannot tell you that also is empty. Can I tell you that there is nothing, nothing in this world that can serve you? This emptiness you feel right now from life. It's because you're trusting in a self-serving gospel, a gospel that is not substantive, a gospel that is empty. We need and we have a gospel that is weighty, meaty, a gospel that is hopeful and powerful, one that is firm and not shifty, one that is certain, sure and not unwavering, one that stands the test of time. This is the gospel that they are to stand on. And yet this also causes us to look at verse two. This is the gospel that they are being saved by. What does salvation mean for them? Salvation means for them that they're saved from the presence, the power and the penalty of sin. But yet these individuals were merging that what they believed in Christ with all of of what ancient Corinthians worship, which was a wide, wide range of deities. We, too, worship several different deities. Their deities were the sun god and the god of healing and the god of medicine. And so when they worship these gods, they would also add it to their faith. And it is safe to say that many at that time offered this worship to whatever god they decided to worship. Where do you find your salvation? Where do you find that Christ is added to whatever you believe? Is he your refuge? Is he the one that you trust in? In difficult times, who do you call on? What gods are revealed? What gods do you worship? How do you cope when you are struggling mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually? Is it by drinking? Do you feel as if you can calm your anxiety simply by taking some medication, overindulging in some form of pleasure? Can I tell you that that is an empty gospel? 
It is one that doesn't give us a faith to live with. And also what it does. It distracts us from this notion that we are saved by the power of what Christ has done, not by the power of playing our cards right. There is nothing outside of the gospel that can save us from our despair. Sure, many of you are saying to yourselves, I have enough money to soften the blow in a season of trial. But can you save yourself or do you have enough money to soften the blow from eternal damnation and destruction? Sure, many of you are struggling to get out of poverty and you think that that is the way that you need to make sure you're living a Christian life. But can I tell you that, it, that poverty is not the key. Getting out of poverty is not the key to gospel success. That the gospel is not just liberating you from suffering. That is empty. The gospel is helping you to endure suffering. That's why it is active. That's why it is lively. That's why it is transformative. Our salvation destroys every ungodly barrier that also divides us. The ethical aspects of our of the resurrection helps the Corinthian church to understand how they ought to live in unity. And it also helps us today understand how we all of us are under the banner of one Lord and one faith. And unity. The gospel has implications that ethically affect us and the gospel also has implications that spiritually affects us. It transforms us in every way and increases our faith to trust in the Lord. Our second point is Christ suffered and has risen so that we can live without sin. A man once purchased a white mouse to use for his snake, his pet snake, and he put the mouse in the tank. And he began to observe how that mouse would respond to the snake that was actually buried in the sand. That mouse began to dig up a hole so that it can cover itself with sand itself in order for the, for the snake not to see it. He knew that there was destruction and demise on the way. That once that snake rose out of that sand, that he was powerless against the snake. The man had sympathy on the mouse and opened up the tank and took the mouse out because he knew that that mouse had no chance against that snake. Beloved, our sin will destroy us and we are powerless against it. No matter how hard we try to cover or deny our sinful nature, it's fool's work. Sin eventually will awake from its sleep and shake off its cover. And if it were not for the saving grace of our master, the sin would eat all of us alive. We are powerless against our sinful nature. We're powerless against sin. Our natural propensity, though, is to rebel against God, our savior. But yet he embraces us. It's in Romans 5 and 8 where Paul says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad that he did? Because this is the same litany that he he get, that Paul gives to the people in verse three and five, that, that this gospel creed. But he also says in in verse 32, just 
to understand, for them to understand that if you keep living hopeless, if you give yourself over too much drink, if you give yourself over too much fruit, you just and just die tomorrow and not believe in the resurrection. Give yourself over to all of the pleasures. Don't don't believe in anything. Give yourself over to the indulgence, the cruelty in life, the violence in your savage ways. What if people were to live like hopeless people? What would society look like, beloved? What if people were to live like meaningless people what would society look like God does not want us to live sinful lives this way he doesn't want us to die in our despair he doesn't want us to live in sin for eternity this is why he offers the good news the gospel of grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that died for our sins he died for our sin he was buried for our sins and he was raised so that we could be raised with him. This is the core of the gospel. And he did it so we wouldn't die. And uh, he, so we would not die in our own destruction. But see, I've had several conversations with individuals that would all agree that fundamentally within humanity and all of creation, that there is a problem. There is brokenness. We see it currently with this global pandemic. This global pandemic actually shows and demonstrates no matter who you are, whether it's an atheist, an agnostic, a skeptic or a Christian, it shows and demonstrates that we all want this thing to end. We all want it to be over. But at the same time, we see that this virus exposed the frailty in every structure that we have in place and the intelligence of humanity. We can't figure this thing out. It's a new strand of the coronavirus that has befuddled all of the entire world. But can I tell you about a virus that's greater than the coronavirus? It is the virus of sin that no technology, no doctor, not the finest phys physician in the world, nor any cure in the world can fix. No amount of medicine, no prescription, no insulin, nothing can fix this problem. The only person that can fix this problem is Jesus Christ, the one who is the great physician, the one is who is the forgiver of sin, the judge of all, the king of kings, who appeared to all of his eyewitnesses for the credibility of the historical presidents of his resurrection. He did it so that we can proclaim his resurrection and proclaim his victory over sin and death. So, beloved. He suffered and died so that we would not live in sin. Will you accept that? Will you receive that? Understand what he did for you on the cross to know that you're powerless against it is to also know that there is a God who forgives it, a God who died for it. And he can be your Lord. And for some of us, he is. And he's given us the ability to worship and praise him. This is why in our next point, in point number three, our last point, Christ has suffered and Christ has risen so that we will live victorious. Verses eight through 11. I want you to under, I want you to think about this and ask yourself the question. How do you understand how to live victorious? Well, I want you to know that it means to have full awareness of God's grace and forgiveness. It's not prosperity. It's not how much you do. It's not how much you achieve. That is not the way in which you or any of us can live victorious. But what does Paul show us? He says that Christ appeared to 
Cephas, Christ appeared to James. He appeared to 500. And then last, he appeared to me. And the reason Paul talks about himself in such a demeaning manner is because some people did not accept his apostleship. Some people talked down about him because he persecuted the church. And yet Paul recognized that his apostleship, yes, seemed as if it was like an untimely birth, birth, one that was unannounced. But Paul's deep understanding of God's grace liberates him from how he once persecuted God's church to how he now has built up God's church. In other words, Paul is not defined by his past actions. He's defined by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the unmerited favor that brings about righteousness. It was the grace of God that appeared with salvation to all people, salvation to all people. Paul reminds us, too, that it was this grace of God that empowers him to both in his weaknesses. Why? Because it is God's grace that is actually sufficient. It is God's grace that is actually edifying. It is God's grace that is actually sanctifying. It's God's grace that lifts us up out of darkness into the marvelous light. I believe it. That's why I'm preaching it. It is God's grace that we can claim victory over death. We can claim victory over every single evil thing that comes to us. And it's at the end of the chapter that Paul gives us this very great assurance in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the resurrection of the dead, in the resurrection of the body of our bodies. What he says is when as Christ was raised, we too will be raised from perishable to imperishable, from mortal to immortal. And we can proclaim by God's grace that death has been swallowed up. And we can also say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? See, I've done several funerals in my time. And in doing those funerals, it was always encouraging to do one when I knew someone was lying on their deathbed, but yet they would grab my hand and say pastor I know that I may be leaving this earth but I know my assurance is in the one who will comfort me the one who will hold me the one in his presence will allow me to know that this is not tragedy but it's triumph death has not won because you're in the presence of the Lord it is a hope that we all know by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we can boast in our brokenness and yet be forgiven. That we can boast in our vulnerabilities and yet be victorious. It is this, that we are dying to live because God has done something in our lives to say that if you give up your life, I will give you life. If you give up your old ways, I will give you new ways. I watched a documentary a couple days ago, and that documentary was about cue ball. But what I was stunned was a story about a young man who was actually going to be freed from prison. As the prison guard took him out of his cell and he began to wave goodbye to everybody else late in that evening, it was almost as if he was trying to sneak off like a thief in the night. But the joy that was on his face, knowing that he was leaving a place that he had been locked up for several years. There was a box that was handed to him. And in that box, there was new clothes, a new pair of shoes. He grabbed those new pair of shoes, astonished at the shoes that he had. He grabbed that new pair of clothes, astonished at those nice garments that he had. And then he said, what do I do with this? They said, you put that on. He took off his old prison clothes that reminded him of the bondage that he was in. And he put on his new clothes, reminding him of the new life that he would have. I 
know that God has given you some gospel garments. God, it, it ain't Gucci, nor is it Louis Vuitton. It, it, it's nothing fancy on this earth. It is not temporal, but eternal. And in those clothes, what it is said, it is giving you a new way. And when you put those clothes on, what it says that also you have a king and a Lord that loves you and cares for you, gives you assurance and lets you know that you won't die in your destruction. You won't die in your dismay, but you will die knowing that you will delight in a God that loves you so much. God, who's giving you not only these clothes so that you can walk in newness of life, but that so you can fight every demon that tries to come your way. He's given you the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, and even the shoes of peace, knowing that you wield the word of God as your sword so that you can live a life glorifying to God, not a life free from suffering, not a life only for your personal success, but a life that will bring glory to a God who is raised from the grave because he loves you so much. I'll close with this. I read an article about a young woman who, woman who described the mall attack in Nairobi. She described how she smeared the victim's blood to play dead from the fool's to fool the terrorists. As she reached initially for his phone just to make sure that it was off, she began to smear blood and cover herself with the blood that he was leaking out of his body. It was the idea that she needed to survive in this moment. So she covered her hands, untangled her hair and began to wipe it on her face, covered her body, covered her, her face and her her, her entire uh, garments just to pretend that she was dead. Well, she survived to tell the story. And in that story, she said, I, I wish I could just tell that young man that, that he saved my life, that his blood probably protected me from my dismay, from my death. Can I tell you that there is someone named Jesus Christ. I've already told you several times who actually died on the cross, who rose from the grave, who came out of the tomb. It was a great empty promise because it was an empty tomb. And when he was on that cross, we have to remember that there was blood that flowed from his body. That same blood that flowed from the cross is the same blood that covers you and passes death will pass over you and have no victory over your life. In the same grave that you were supposed to be in, God was in that grave and he left that grave empty. He left that tomb empty to raise to be raised so that we will be raised. If you believe it, beloved, then you understand that there is an assurance for you to understand that God has given you newness of life so that the blood that he's covered you with, the death that he has taken, the way that he was raised was so that you can be victorious, so that you can live without sin and so that you can have faith that will give you hope, a gospel hope that nothing on this earth can give you a blessed assurance. As the hymn writer says, Jesus is mine. Oh. What a save, what a foretaste. Oh, glory divine. Heirs of salvation purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, beloved. This is my song, praising my Savior 
all the day long. This is a savior that we praise because he got up. But this is a savior that we also praise because he sat down on a throne that declared him king, on a throne that declared victory, on a throne that declared you righteous. If you struggle to believe him, you have questions about who he is. You can email me. You can email anyone on our pastoral staff. You can email Richard. If you're struggling in your faith journey, that's okay. No one said you did not have to struggle. But what the gospel says is that Jesus is with you as you struggle. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you and we bless you. Because what you've done for us, no other human being on earth can do. We love you, God, because you are the one that has cured all of the diseases that affect us spiritually. In order to give us a hope that one day there will be no sickness, there, one day there will be no pain or no sorrow. But every tear will be wiped away, knowing that we are in your presence. For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. All God's people said it. Amen.